I'm Brandon Carey. I'm Jason Grady. This is the Medic Class Citizen Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. So today we're going to let you hear an introduction to one of our good friends, Dr. John Allen. Uh, So we anticipate and we plan on having Dr. Allen back for several episodes. Um, So, uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoy this introduction. Uh, Dr. Allen is a medical director. Um, He is uh, he's very passionate about EMS and the things that EMS can do to make a difference for the patient throughout the system of care. Um, He's also, he just loves clinical medicine. He loves emergency medicine. Uh, So who better than to, uh, who better to bring some case studies every now and then and uh, talk about some interesting calls. So, so let's listen in as Dr. Allen introduces himself. So thank you for hanging out with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, that's obviously having watched the episode with Kevin. Um, that's a pretty tough act to follow. I mean, he's a, um, a class act. I've read his first book. I haven't read the new one yet, but uh, it's on my it's on my short list. But yeah, I'm uh, happy to be here. So, if you don't mind, just kind of take us, you know, take us through, you know, where you uh, where you came up and where you went to school and what kind of got you into this. Yeah, so I went to med school in Indiana. I was born and raised a Hoosier, so spent the first couple of decades of my life there. And um, after med school, I matched into emergency medicine down in Augusta. So I spent a couple of years at MCG, which is really where I got my first exposure to um, medicine outside of the emergency department. Obviously, we did a lot of shifts in the hospital because that's really what we were there for. But MCG is... Um, or Augusta University, I guess, is what they call it now. Um, but, you know, they're, they're very um, forward-thinking when it comes to operational medicine or medicine outside of the emergency department. So I was fortunate to have a lot of experience with um, tactical medicine with the Sheriff's Department in Columbia County, uh, getting to interact with, uh, with various EMS agencies, fire departments. So that's really where uh, my interest in pre-hospital medicine started. So um, I went from finishing residency. I moved to Knoxville for a few years, was the uh, police surgeon with the Knoxville Police Department, worked with their SWAT team, uh, and then eventually moved to Chattanooga. So I got hooked up with Walker County, the sheriff's office in Walker County, ran with those guys until I eventually moved to Atlanta. Um, took a couple of years off from EMS, and then uh, Probably six or eight months ago, the um, the Cherokee opportunity just kind of fell in my lap. Dr. Mabley, who everybody in Georgia EMS and, and probably really throughout the country probably knows Dr. Mabley. Uh, she really pioneered the EMS, um, the department here in Cherokee County. So um, she was looking to kind of take a step back from operations and I was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time and know the right people to get involved with the department. So been with Cherokee County now for the last probably eight months, I think, and, um, also the medical director for Pickens County. So, uh, the two contiguous counties there. So it's kind of a good piggyback from one service to the other, um, Awesome. Yeah, so that's that's sort of in a nutshell. Um, I still work part time in Northside Cherokee in the emergency department there. So 
it's good to see the EMS guys from Cherokee and Pickens, um, you know, when they come in and bring patients in, it's nice to be able to see those guys and interact with them in the emergency department and uh, out, out in the field too. Uh, the, I'm the co-medical director for the Smoke Divers, which um, is, you guys know, is a, um, a training platform for, uh, for firefighters in the state of Georgia and really throughout the country. Um, so been involved with them. Um, it's a, a really demanding, both you know, technically and physically, uh, demanding class. So I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to be involved with them and, uh, and kind of help help develop the curriculum and med- the medical protocols for that course as well. So just a little bit of context. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the two counties specifically where your medical director. They're a little bit uh, different, but t- give us kind of the, uh, the makeup of the EMS system uh, and the size. Sure. So Cherokee County is a fire-based EMS system. Um, we are a primary transport service. So, you know, we basically service the entire county from both fire suppression and EMS. Um, we have the numbers are, are, you know, the numbers of transports keep growing, but uh, right now I think we've got 20, 27 stations, uh, 25 of which are manned. Um, you know, we've got a truck running out of pretty much every station and then two additional day trucks. So, um, you know, quite a few EMS providers uh, that are on shift every day um, taking care of the citizens of Cherokee County. And for a uh, frame of reference, this is Cherokee County, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pickens County, which is the next county up from Cherokee, is a more rural county. Um, they have you know five ambulances providing service to the entire county, um, but it's a longer transport, so um, they're they're frequently all their trucks are frequently running calls at the same time, and so it's. Um, it's kind of a challenge for them to be able to get to the hospital off with the patient and get back in service. So um, they don't have quite the number of resources only because of the, um, the, the number of stations that they have. But, um, but yeah, so those are the two counties that I'm, uh, I'm currently the medical director for. So you're really kind of getting to see both ends of the spectrum. Then you're kind of, you're seeing a department that has great resources, uh, pretty good numbers as far as personnel and support. Uh, versus another county, like you said, that's very rural, which uh, sounds like it's pretty strapped, is geography and uh, terrain. Uh, what, what kind of, are these in the mountains or uh, what, what kind of um, obstacles do, uh, do the departments face there? Yeah, Cherokee County is more, uh, I guess, it's more of an exurban county. So it's just north of the Atlanta metro area. Uh, we have really two distinct areas of the county. There's the metro, the more metro area like Canton, Woodstock, um, over toward Ackworth. And then as you get into the northern part of the county, it's a little bit more rural. So um, the transport times are longer. You can run into cell service um, areas where there's not adequate cell service. So um, it's really kind of the tale of two parts of the county. And then Pickens is a lot like north, the north end of Cherokee County, where it's more rural, more mountains, um, long, again, longer transport times, uh, places where you just don't have cell, for, cell service to be able to transmit EKGs or, uh, you know, get in touch with medical control, those kinds of issues. So you also have an interesting background in military. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, cause I think it, uh, 
you know, helps understand a little bit uh, more of what you uh, accomplish and what you do and how it kind of um, shapes you. But tell us about your background there. Yeah. So when I got out of residency, um, I've always loved flying. Actually, I have my pilot's license, even though I haven't flown an airplane in quite some time. But um, when I got out of residency, the Air National Guard in Tennessee was looking for flight surgeons. So ended up signing up with them, um, spent I think six and a half years with the Air National Guard in Knoxville as a flight surgeon with the med group. Um, never deployed. So, you know, I was one of those Air National Guard guys that uh, that always stayed CONUS, but um, got a lot of interesting experiences from going through an abbreviated survival school and being able to fly with the air crews, uh, learning some aerospace medicine. I did uh, six weeks at Right, Patterson, kind of learning all about aerospace physiology, which was really cool. So, um, yeah, that was uh, it was a lot of fun. I really, uh, I was actually the medical director for the fire department on base there as well, which um, we, you know, we really didn't do a whole lot. Uh, they were mostly there for crash response for aircraft mishaps, um, you know, but we did respond to a small number of um, of EMS type calls that happened on the base. Um, so. That was really out of residency. That was my first um, first really involvement with a fire or EMS service as the medical director, developing protocols and dealing with training and QAQC, those kinds of issues. So whenever we talk about the types of service that you um, that you've been a medical director for, is there something in particular that draws you to the more rural? Um, is there a certain challenge that draws you to those type of departments um, versus a more urban or metro setting? Yeah, you know, I think the the rural departments have their own sets of challenges. You know, typically they're not as well funded as a metro department is. Um, the tax base is usually quite a bit different. Uh, they have difficulties in recruiting and retaining paramedics and, and EMTs because they often can't really pay as well as some of the bigger services. Uh, they don't necessarily have the same uh, educational opportunities, at least within the department. Um, you know, Cherokee, we're really fortunate there to have a dedicated training center that does all of the training for our paramedics and firefighters and EMTs um, all in-house. So, you know, they don't have to go out to an outside agency to be able to get hours for recertification. And um, typically the more rural departments don't have the same opportunities, mostly from a funding perspective and a, and a personnel perspective to have those uh, dedicated training divisions. Which is actually completely backwards because as we've uh, actually discussed uh, quite a bit is that the, the the folks in the rural areas that have the really long transport times actually have to be the uh, ones that really know what they're doing rather than the, um, you know, having the resources of hospitals that are, that are close by. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the, um, one of the difficult things as a medical director for a couple of different services. And we have people that work for, um, for both Cherokee and for Pickens. So they have to, the protocols right now are, are different. I'm in the process of updating Pickens protocols. Uh, to get them more aligned with the two services. But, you know, not only do they have to remember which hat they're wearing, but, you know, they also have different equipment, different vehicles, different patient populations. Um, so there's, it's it's difficult when you go from 
one service to the other to be able to keep some of that stuff straight. So what is it in particular? Um, what is it or what was it that drew you into being a medical director? Uh, because and, and that's uh, hopefully uh, the listeners kind of caught this. You said that you're working part time as an emergency physician, um, but your main focus is medical direction. I think that's pretty yeah. rare. And what is it that uh, that made you kind of have that that focus? So, I mean, I think everybody that comes out of emergency medicine residency, you know, you work um, full time in the hospital for a period of time. And uh, there are people that are comfortable doing that for an entire career. I enjoy expanding my horizons, I guess, a little bit more than just seeing patients in the emergency department. Um, I mean, I still enjoy doing that, but it's it's fun for me to be able to get outside of those four walls in an environment that's not 72 and fluorescent, where you have every piece of equipment that you could ever need. You have every specialist or the ability to transfer somebody to a higher level of care. When you get out into the field in the back of an ambulance, it's you against the world with that particular patient. So I think it's a, you know, not only does it really give me a better understanding for what it's like for those crews being, bringing those patients in, but I think it also hones your skills a little bit more to be able to take care of people that are sick with a limited set of resources. So it's, it's a different, a different experience that I think really makes you a better emergency physician in the end. How much do you think, um, and, and not just asking about uh, your uh, colleagues, but really kind of as you know, you've gone around the country, you've got, you've, you know, you've got a lot of uh, broad experience and, and been a doctor for a while now. How much do you think um, emergency medicine physicians truly understand EMS? Um, you know, certainly there's some, you know, there's some on either end of the spectrum, um, but just you know, in a nutshell, what would you think the uh, understanding of EMS is from uh, your uh, emergency medicine uh, colleagues? I think it depends. It depends on the area. Um, but I think on the whole, if, you know, to generalize, I think the minority of physicians that work in the emergency department really know what it's like to be in the back of an ambulance taking care of a patient. And yeah, I mean, I'll qualify that by saying I've never been a paramedic. I've never worked full time in EMS, you know, like you guys both have. Um, but I've been with the service enough to know what that experience is like. And it, I think it gives you a different, a different perspective when those guys bring them in through the back door, um, what, you know, what they expect to see when they go pick these patients up. You know, not only that, but seeing the inside of some of the places that people live um it's you know it's it's not all not always um it's just not always what you would expect so you know the the crunching sound when you're walking down somebody's hallway isn't it's not always you know cheetos or potato chips you're stepping on it's little <laughs> six or eight legged things that are trying to scurry out from underneath your foot right in in your in residency training for emergency medicine is typically EMS um, rides or interaction or anything a part of that residency or does that depend on the program uh, that you are in? I think it depends on the program. The majority of programs, I think, try to get their residents out into the field. Um, you know, I was heavily involved with the operation of the operational medicine center, which is 
sort of the pre-hospital training center um, affiliated with Augusta University. So I did a lot of work with the sheriff's office. And so I did a lot of that stuff on my own. So I didn't do any dedicated ride-alongs with the EMS services. But I think the vast majority of, of programs now, they they understand the importance of having an understanding of what it's like in the EMS environment. So I think the majority of programs now are getting the residents out into the field to try to experience that. So one thing that Jason and I have uh, have kind of realized since we started this project was, um, unfortunately, there are several, I don't want to say the majority, but it seems to be about half and half. People don't even, they may not know who their medical director is. Uh, certainly, they probably have never met them. Um, with all that to say, I think I think it would serve the listeners well to kind of uh, talk about, like you've already touched on the education and residency in emergency medicine, but what exactly is the difference between um, in an emergency medicine residency versus an EMS fellowship? Well, what exactly are the differences there? Yeah, so I didn't do an EMS fellowship. Um, kind of That's looking pretty back. new though, right? Uh, it's relatively new. Yeah, it was there. Um, it was there when I came out. I finished residency in 2007 and they were out there. Uh, they're much more prominent now, much more, uh, much more available. But uh, the difference is so residency is a uh, for emergency medicine now, it's typically three years after medical school. And then a fellowship is an additional year or two after residency where your focus is solely on EMS. Uh, you you work some clinical shifts in the emergency department just as a kind of adjunct attending um, just to fill your time. But your primary responsibility during that fellowship is engaging in some form of EMS. You usually pick up a, a direction that you want to go, be it um, you know fire-based EMS or tactical disaster, um, some some niche within EMS, but it's a specialty. Uh, it's a set of specialty training that you get post residency. And currently, do you do you know people that have gone into that? I mean, what 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 draws somebody into that? Um, I'm guessing if uh, if EMS is tied to it, it's not financial reasons. Um, you're not uh, you know becoming a millionaire just because you're going to be a medical director uh, for EMS. What co- what type of person is drawn to that? Uh, or what kind of what's the deciding factor to um, kind of go to that level? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, when I got out of residency, I was ready just to hit the ground running and, and start working. I didn't really I didn't really see EMS as being uh, an area that I would end up in, to be honest. I mean, I, I still wanted to work with the sheriff's office or a police department, do the tactical medicine angle. And so I did that. Um, but looking back i mean i think if i had it to do over again hindsight's always 2020 but um i think i i would have taken the time because you know once you once you get out of residency and you start actually making a, a living as a physician like an attending physician it would be pretty difficult to go back to a fellowship and and earn you know fraction earn the money of a resident of a fellowship so uh it, it's one of those things where you could do it but um, that cat is for the most people that cat's out of the bag. Once you get out and get your first quote unquote real job as a, an EMS physician or an emergency physician. So then what, where was that, um, 
where did that click for you that you decide, decided this is really what I want to do um, and be passionate about it? Yeah, it's um, it, again, the, the opportunity in Cherokee County just kind of fell into my lap. And I really, you know, I, I think it's um, everybody. You guys see when you're on the uh, driving down the road and you see a wreck on the side of the road and the fire trucks and the ambulances are there and everybody kind of rubbernecks the traffic stops. And it's it's really it's cool to be able to be involved in taking care of patients in that environment. Um, the guys that choose to be firefighters and paramedics are a different class of individual. You know, those are the guys that um, anybody that chooses to run into a burning building when everybody else is going the other direction is, uh, you know, in my opinion, a, uh, just a different class of person. And so I wanted to get involved with, uh, with those people so that I could have some of those experiences as well and, and try to help make, um, try to help make the service better for, you know, not only for them, but for the patients that we serve in the the counties. So, so how important is it for a medical director to be a member of the, of uh, the community? And, and let me kind of ask that as a two-part question. Um, How important is it for you as a medical director to be involved closely with the service um, where you are the medical director, not just with the service, but with the personnel um, versus being a uh, medical director over a series of rural counties that you may have limited uh, interaction with? I think it's important mostly because the paramedics that are or the EMTs and paramedics are operating under your medical license, right? So all of the protocols that I signed off on when I came to work for Cherokee that's basically me giving the authority for the providers that are on that in that service to provide those particular treatments to patients under my license. So, but I think it's really important to have a close relationship with the providers that you're responsible for so that a, they, you kind of know what level they operate at. You can tailor the protocols based on the, the level of um, the provider that you have in the service. And if they have questions or their problems, they actually know who you are and feel comfortable coming up and talking to you about questions, issues, um, difficult patients, things they could have done better. Uh, just having that relationship, I think, makes makes for a better provider in general just because they don't feel like they're operating in a vacuum. I think, like you said, there are a lot of medical directors that the only time they really know the name of the person that is overseeing the services when they recertify their national registry and they've got to have somebody sign off on their skills and their education. Right. They may have seen the name before, but not the face. Yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) So on that note, um, walk us through what your, not an EMS services expectations, but walk us through kind of the expectations that you have of yourself as a medical director, because you definitely have the passion and you can, you can see that you care about doing the job right. So what expectations do you have for yourself as a medical director? You know, I think it's, it's really easy. Everybody's super busy. Uh, We all have a ton of balls juggling in the air. So uh, for me, it's, it's important to time block, activities that are important to the service so like the ems chief and i he and i work 
closely together on uh, you know on everything. So we have a standing meeting every every month where um, actually every two weeks, I think we bump it up just to make sure that we've got an open time to sit down and talk about any issues that come up. If there are protocol revisions that need to be made, if there are issues with particular providers, if we've had a good cardiac arrest save, you know, a good STEMI that somebody caught and activated in the, in the field. Um, just having those dedicated blocked off times to be able to sit down and, and really kind of hammer through the issues that come up so that you're not trying to deal with them four to six weeks after the fact. Um, I mean, I think it's important to get out with the supervisors to get out to the stations, to meet the crews, to meet the providers. Um, you know, you get into a service with 200 paramedics and EMTs, it's, it's difficult to know everybody by name and by face, but um, I, I want them to know that I'm the medical director and that they can, you know, come up to me or if they see me responding to a call, like I'll keep my radio in the truck with me. If I hear a call come out that's close to me, I very well may just show up and, um, and not, again, not to critique or get in the way or, you know, interfere with what they're doing, but um, to provide some assistance if I can, or, you know, direct medical control um, right into the hospital. If it's a complicated patient, they need an extra set of hands. I mean, those those are the parts of being the medical director that I enjoy, not just shuffling the paper on my desk, but actually getting out and getting hands-on with, uh, with the service. So then what are your expectations for the medics? You know, the, my expectations are really to know the protocols, to um, take as good a care of the patients that are, um, that are in their care as possible, um, to know that they can come to anybody in the chain of command with any issues, with suggestions, with concerns. Um, I mean, I expect them to operate professionally, but also to do their part to make the services better. Uh, if there's something I can do to fix, or something I can fix, something I can do to make their lives better, easier, um, if there's equipment that they, that they think may help or drugs that they um, they want us to consider. I mean, those are the things that I want them to be comfortable coming to us so that we can, you know, advance EMS as much as we can and um, really make it, keep it fun for them to work. So kind of um, following up on that, your expectations of medics and uh, making sure they know the protocols, making sure they're competent. How do you verify that? Or do you verify that on the front end at all? Are you involved in any of the interviews and hiring? I know you obviously came into this um, when, uh, you know, the department was already already there and you came into a group of uh, medics and uh, EMTs, but are you involved with any of the front end uh, verifying of competencies? With Cherokee, I have been. Uh, they're, they're very engaging with the leadership to make sure that we know who we're getting up front. Obviously, they're going to be working under my medical license, so I want to know what their personalities are like to begin with. Um, so yeah, I try to be involved with that stuff as much as I possibly can. I think it it can help um, avoid some problems down the road if you can select a little bit better up front. You know, a warm body is not always better than nobody. So um, obviously we can't have holes in the schedule, but you also don't want to get somebody 
into the system and and end up having to deal with problems down the road. It's it's always easier to deal with those up front than it is to try to, you know, figure out how to manage that downstream. And then with that, where do you cross, where, where do you kind of um, bring together the difference between um, clinical or ensuring clinical competency versus um, legal competency, if that's a, if that's a term, making sure, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, well, there's probably just a lot of medicine of, hey, if you're not getting sued, it's not that big of a deal. Um, how do you, uh, how do you as a medical director ensure uh, good clinical care even when it may not be um, a legal issue? I'm fortunate at Cherokee to have a very robust QA, QC process. Um, we've got a couple of people that are dedicated to just going through the charts and making sure that um, that anything that needs to be reviewed by the EMS chief or myself uh, are, are flagged. You know, we have certain Categories of calls, uh, cardiac arrest, any helicopter transports, massive, um, you know, multi-system trauma, any of the kind of the big, um, the big categories are obviously reviewed. Um, and then we also pull a, a certain percentage of everybody's PCRs just to make sure that everything's on the up and up. Um, you know, Pickens is a little different because it's a smaller service. It's a little bit more of a challenge to to maintain that. So um, it's, it's really just going through PCRs here and there to make sure that, uh, that everybody's doing what they, what they should be. And then we rely on supervisors to, to be out with the crews and to identify any, um, you know, any outliers or any trends that we need to be aware of. So um, that's really, it's really kind of, it's difficult. I think, a lot of times it's sort of out of sight, out of mind. You know, if you're um, like we used to say in uh, in the military, you want to be the gray man, right? You want to you just want to kind of blend in the background and and not be the guy that sticks out with a bunch of refusals or a bunch of medication errors. Um, you just kind of want to be the guy that blends in. Um, so the trick is to try to tease out those particular um, you know, those particular cases that sort of just blend into the background to try to make sure you identify them. But um, I would say that making sure that QA and QC is, is done is really one of the more difficult. Uh, it's time intensive. It's labor intensive to go through the PCRs. Um, so it's, it's not easy. And then what do you do when you do find a deficiency? Yeah, that's, uh, it, it depends on the level. Uh, it, it's sort of, at least at Cherokee, the EMS chief, um, Chief Sullivan and I will sit down, we'll go over the deficiency, we'll sort of identify whether it's a, um, a personnel issue or whether it's a systems issue, right? Because it could be that we have two medications that are right next to each other in the med bag that look similar, that have different concentrations, and they just pulled the wrong one because we didn't make it obvious enough for them to distinguish between the two. Um, you know, and so before we, we just assume that it's a person problem, we try to make sure that it's not a systems issue that we can fix for everybody. Um, but then depending on what we find, you know, we'll either, uh, we'll either have a conversation face-to-face -face or the, we'll send the supervisors out to talk to them to re-educate. 
Um, we can send them back to the, the training division to do some remedial training. We have sort of a stepwise continuum of, of options for, for retraining. And then as the medical director, you know, as, as, uh, as field paramedics or as staff, everyone knows when the paramedic police show up, probably showing <laughs> up with the medical director. Um, it's because you messed up something. Do you guys do uh, anything on the other side of that? Someone uh, maybe goes above and beyond something interesting happens. Um, do you follow up on that as well? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, though, that to me, I think is more important to uh, not have that negative connotation with me showing up every time. So uh, we're in the process of developing some challenge coins, a, a challenge coin for the medical director. So if you know somebody has a, a great say that there's a cardiac arrest that ends up leaving the hospital neurologically intact or um, a STEMI that is not your classic tombstone that that may have had somebody had to go kind of to that next level of thinking to identify. Um, or, you know, they help an old lady across the street. I mean, it could be something as simple as that, you know, just going above and beyond their normal call of duty. Um, we try to reward them in various ways so that it's not just here comes the medical director, you know, everybody's got to be in their best behavior. Um, somebody's going to get, you know, they're going to get chewed out or, something like that. So we try to, uh, we try to do as much positive reinforcement as we do um, have to deal with the negative side as well. And fortunately, the negative side is pretty rare. I mean, it's not often that we have an issue that needs to be addressed um, at my level. Usually it's something that can be handled with the supervisor or, um, you know, the EMS chief. Um, I've, I can think of only a couple, a handful of incidents that I've been involved with in the six, eight months I've been doing it. So, so something that Jason and I have come across um, quite often, actually, um, if you look at EMS departments or uh, EMS services that have good retention rates, uh, one of the things that typically they have in common are good protocols. Um, you know, good protocols are going to attract medics. They're going to keep medics. In your mind, how do you, this is a two-part question, part one is how do you assess your service and say, yes, um, we're being progressive enough, so to speak, and two, um, where, how do you draw the line of, no, that's, that's, that's a bit too far, I'm not, I'm not uh, convinced about this protocol yet? Sure. Um... I think you're exactly right. I think having a set of protocols that allow the providers to be on the forward edge of, of pre-hospital medicine is important. Um, you don't want them to have the sense that really they're just there to be a taxi service, right? I mean, we want to allow them to take high quality care of, of patients in the field and really extend the emergency department into the back of that ambulance as much as we can. I think there are a lot of things that you can do to keep the medics engaged and involved in those processes to develop new protocols and keep them interested. I know it's, it's a uh, human nature. You essentially become to a, to an extent you can become who you surround yourself with. And it's important uh, to have a good group of peers. 
you know, we encourage paramedics to be part of associations and part of uh, groups to where they can learn more, they can network. Um, so, you know, things like uh, the National Association of, of EMTs, um, is there or are there entities like that for medical directors to where you can kind of, um, no, I don't, I'm not sure what the right term is, but you can essentially uh, gauge your vision uh, in comparison or, or with other medical directors. Yeah, there are a couple of really good organizations. Um, I'm actually, later this month, I'm going to the, uh, the conference for the National Association of EMS Physicians. So it's a national organization of EMS medical directors uh, across the, comp- the across the country that get together, and um, it's basically a big uh, a big conference about how to be a better medical director. They put on a medical directors uh, a workshop, so new medical directors can go take a couple of day workshop where they learn what it's like to be uh, a medical director, what the expectations are, what um, what the service should expect from you and, and vice versa. Um, and then on top of that, there are a couple of other, uh, there's a, a group out of Texas called the Eagles, which are mm-hmm. medical directors from large metropolitan uh, cities like LA, San Francisco, New York, Chicago. Um, and we've got a couple of folks that are um, affiliated with some services in Georgia that are uh, part of the, the presenting faculty for that conference as well. So that's where, um, you know, NAEMSP is sort of your nuts and bolts, um, normal medical directors for lack of a a better, uh, better word, but the Eagles conference is more kind of the, the bigger cities, the more forward thinking, some of the, um, the more advanced, um, advanced protocols come out of a place like that. So yeah, there are certainly opportunities. And then, you know, just networking within the state. Um, the Georgia is, is fortunate to have a, a fairly um, a tight-knit group of medical directors, at least in this area. And, you know, we get in touch with each other if there's some issue we need to address or if we're going to do something that, um, that's new, you know, we, we typically will reach out to the group and see if somebody else is already doing it so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Man, thank you so much for your time. Look forward to having you back. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a few more things to talk about. I think um, a couple awesome. other ideas that I'll have to run past you guys. But um, this has been fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, again, it was kind of big shoes to fill following Kevin Hazard, but uh, <laughs> it's been fun. Awesome. You've been listening to Medic Class Citizen. If you like what you heard, check out our website at www.medicclasscitizen.com. Also, find us on social media where you can follow, like, subscribe, and share. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we also have videos on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.